The Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. We invite you to this service of ordered worship. The liturgy, music, and homily are offered for our gathered congregation here in Marsh Chapel for our radio listenership across New England at NPR WBUR 90.9 FM and for our internet listenership around the globe at WBUR.org. We welcome your prayerful and material support, your written or emailed responses, your choices of forms of ministry and service in our midst, and as the Spirit moves, come Sunday, your presence with us in worship. That is, you are invited into the 60-minute poem of this service of worship to remember some word that is true in the joy of faith when grace is present, to see someone who is good in the joy of faith when grace is present, and to hear something that is beautiful in the joy of faith when grace is present. This is the day the Lord has made. We shall rejoice and be glad in it. As we are able, may we stand in the praise of God.
may we pray. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among the things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Please be seated. Beloved Isaiah Berlin wrote long ago that we should watch for ways to soften the collisions of life. Collisions are inevitable, but we become more human as we do soften them together. Sometimes our need in the softening is for instruction, and sometimes more often it is for forgiveness, for a remembrance of our need of forgiveness, and for practice in the speech of forgiveness, the syntax of forgiveness, the grammar of forgiveness, the vocabulary of forgiveness, the spelling of forgiveness. We pause in confession to receive pardon that through this week we may offer pardon. Listen as our choir sings with us, Lord have mercy upon us. Happy, happy recipients, we of the gifts of pardon and peace. Hear the good news. If we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thanks be to God. A lesson from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 8 verse 18 through chapter 19, verse 1. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. 
my heart is sick. Hark the cry of my poor people from far and wide in the land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not in her? Why have they provoked me to anger with their images, with their foreign idols? The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. For the hurt of my poor people, I am hurt, I mourn, and dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Oh, that my head were a spring of water, and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep day and night for the slain of my poor people. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite you to join me in reading responsively verses from Psalm 79 with the Antiphon.
Oh God, the nations have come into your inheritance. They have defiled your holy temple. They have laid Jerusalem in ruins. They have given the bodies of your servants to the birds of the air for food, the flesh of your faithful to the wild animals of the earth. They have poured out their blood like water all around Jerusalem, and there was no one to bury them. They have become a taunt to our neighbors, mocked and derided by those around us. How long, O Lord, will you be angry forever? Will your jealous wrath burn like fire? Pour out your anger on the nations that do not know you and on the kingdoms that do not call on your name. They have devoured Jacob and laid waste. <clears throat> Do not remember against us the iniquities of our ancestors. Let your compassion come speedily to meet us, for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and forgive our sins for your name's sake. And now I invite you to rise as you are able for the singing of the Gloria Patri and the reading of our gospel. Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to St. Luke from chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Glory, Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus said to his disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, What is this I hear about you? 
Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, what will I do now? That my ma master is taking the position away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I've decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me in their homes. So summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, how much do you owe my master? And he answered, a hundred jugs of olive oil. He said, take your bill, cut it in half, sit down quickly and make it 50. And then he asked another, how much do you owe? And he replied, a hundred containers of wheat. And he said, take your bill and make it 80. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth. So then when it is gone, they may welcome you into eternal homes. But then Jesus continued and said, Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ.
Please be seated. Before us today stands Jesus Christ, robed in mystery and announced in a strange parable. There is no easy interpretation for this parable. Why is its hero, my very favorite accountant, by the way, commended for dishonesty, which is a breach of the ninth commandment? We do not know. Why is his master happy to be cheated? We cannot say. Why is an accountant swindle upheld in this parable here attributed to Jesus as preparation somehow for heaven? No one can tell. What please does verse 9, as tangled in the Greek as it is in your bulletin, intend? Make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous mammon so that when it fails they may receive you into the eternal habitations? We do not see. What possible connection is there between the story and the four trailing proverbs? Little at all, except that they all deal with money. How did this story make it into Luke's travel narrative? It is not clear. Is this dishonest manager our role model in the church as we try to manage wealth in the direction of justice? Perhaps. And most of all, where is Jesus, the divine mystery incarnate, to be found in our reading today? The parable of the dishonest steward has really just one meaning, and it is very good news. Faith gives spiritual health in the midst of change, including the transition into college life. Let us recall the mystery of Christ, the stranger in our midst. We announce his presence today, again today. He is among us dealing with issues we dismiss, speaking with people whom we dislike, considering options we disdain, selecting vocations that do not yet fully exist, expanding spaces that we constrict, accepting lifestyles that we reject, attending to possibilities that we ignore, approaching horizons that we avoid, healing wounds that we disguise, questioning assumptions that we enjoy, protecting persons whom we mistreat, making allowances that we distrust. So strangely is he among us. Strangely his voice addresses us. You may mistake his strange presence for absence. Then a voice of Vatican II voice you have not heard in 50 years arises. You awake and drink coffee and open the newspaper as you did perhaps on Friday to read the statement of the Bishop of Rome, Francis. It is not necessary to talk about these issues all the time, he said. We have to find a new balance, otherwise we will lose the fr freshness and fragrance of the gospel, he said. When God looks at a gay person, does he endorse the existence of this person with love or reject and condemn this person, he asked. The church is the home of all, he said. We must not reduce the bosom of the universal church to a nest protecting our own mediocrity, he concluded. The mystery of Jesus Christ falls upon us, approaches us, and enchants us when and where we least expect him. In the strange world of the Bible, in the midst of the community of strangers that is the church, 
hidden in the brutal estrangement of our personal life. Here, behold, the Lord Jesus Christ, l'étranger, the stranger. Contrary to some preaching, even popular televised preaching today, his presence is neither simple, nor surface, nor easy, nor fundamental, nor shallow, nor ideological, nor one-dimensional, nor ahistorical, nor primarily political. He draws us. He lures us. He enchants us. And so he sets us free. For St. Luke in chapters 9 to 19 has captured a collage of portraits of Jesus on the road. We are on a journey, as Luke reminds the church here. We're making a trip to the promised land. We're headed in a certain direction. With our spiritual forebears, we are traveling on a journey. Israel left Cana to go to, to Egypt to find bread. There they became the slaves of Pharaoh. But Moses led them out, parted the Red Sea, guided them through the wilderness, brought them the Ten Commandments. At last he sent them forth with Joshua to inhabit the land flowing with milk and honey. And in such a glorious land they hunted and farmed. They even built a temple and chose a king, though Samuel warned against it. Saul, David, and Solomon reigned, but were followed by others less wise and less strong. And although the prophets did warn, the children of Israel left their covenant and their covenant God, and at last suffered the greatest of defeats, the destruction of Jerusalem and the return to slavery in Babylon, 587 BCE. On these hundreds of years of history depends this morning's cry of Jeremiah. Oh, that my head were a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears, so that I might weep night and day for the slain of my poor people. Like Israel marching to Babylon, then trudging home again two generations later, to and fro, we people of faith are on a journey from slavery to freedom. Hear the good news, sursum corda, lift up your hearts. Faith heals change. Luke's mysterious Christ meets us today, hidden in the maelstrom of wild, unexpected change and economic crisis. On the road, the journey of faith, the Gospel of Luke has most to say, and Jesus most regularly addresses the issue of money. Remember, remember how Luke traces the gospel. Mary in the Magnificat honors the poor. John the Baptist preaches justice in the great unique tradition of the Hebrew prophets from Amos forward. Isaiah's words and hopes are affirmed. Jesus blesses the poor, not just the poor in spirit, in his sermon on the plain. Remember the parable of the rich fool? Tonight is your soul required of you, and these riches, whose shall they be? Luke sets Christian discipleship at odds with, in contest with, in contest with, anxiety about possessions. And by the way, get ready in conclusion, to meet Lazarus and Dives. Jesus Christ calls us to manage our possessions toward justice, 
both as a community and as a community of faith and as individuals, women and men, today. But you may wonder whether this parable speaks to you, especially if you are in financial calamity. Along Luke's Jerusalem road, Jesus has a healing word to say this morning about possessions, money, and wealth. To this reader, at least, it is clear that the chief communal issue before Luke's Antioch congregation was the management of wealth. This means that they had money. This also means that they did not immediately throw it away. This further means that they reasoned that the apocalypse of the end was not so very near that no financial planning was necessary. This additionally means, as Luke's writing shows, that they were trying to learn to become prudent, astute, imaginative, shrewd, clever, insightful, accountable, entrepreneurial managers. So they are reminded in argument from less to more. Some of this is scriptural and some of it is folklore. Keep faith in the little things to be ready for the big ones. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Be faithful with money which belongs to God so that you will become faithful in soul which belongs to you. A stitch in time saves nine. Do your preseason training with possessions so that you will be ready for the regular gridiron season of the spirit. Look before you leap. Be penny wise, not pound foolish. In other words, use possessions so as to gain, not to lose, your future. Be creative. For all the dangers of possessions, it is possible to manage goods in ways appropriate to life in the kingdom of God. Remember that you are a manager of someone else's accounts, an absentee landlord who has an ultimate claim. And go ahead, be clever, be creative, and be loyal, but if you have to choose, be creative. In other words, whether you are 18 or 98, attention to stewardship, care for resources, matters and matters greatly. The deeper truth in this passage, though, is simply that faith heals and handles change. Faith carries the power to master the vicissitudes of change. Ultimately, this parable cannot be interpreted only along moral or economic or even political lines, so read it makes no real sense. Luke has gone ahead to read the parable so, in part, by appending the four proverbs about fiduciary fidelity, and we have honored today his teaching. But the parable itself says something else. Like the mystery of Christ itself, the story is not moral, but mystical, not theoretical, but theological, not law, but grace. It is good news. A man gets the pink slip and leaves under suspicion with the sheriff on the way. 
He's looking at doing time. I imagine he's creative with language, don't you? So he sits and he thinks he's on the lamb. He's headed for jail, prison. Then he adds words. Lockup, pokey, hoosgow, calaboose, slammer, joint, tank, in stir, going up the river, doing time, in the brig, the gray bar hotel, the big house, the can. You see how lively language can be? He is not a moral exemplar, but just as his ingenuity handles the sudden change in his circumstance, so the powerful grace of faith, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ, handles the constant change of life, and that is good news. Faith manages change, masters change, and that is good news especially for you if you are going through change. So Paul could say and shout, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the, the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, the faith of Jesus Christ working heteronymously through life handles and heals change. Faith is nimble, not flat-footed, agile, not stolid, creative, not programmed, shrewd, not complacent, quick, not quiescent, fast, not slow. Notice what my favorite accountant does not do. He does not only merely just pray, go to temple, seek ministerial counsel, bellyache, celebrate his victimhood, join the choir, or leave it all up to Jesus. He does not say, let go, let God. He does not claim that God has done this to him. In fact, the faith here it claimed has no religious clothing at all. No, he does none of that. Rather, he responds shrewdly. He finds the faith to handle change and lives the faith that handles change. Change is real hard and often real good, like life, like love, like faith, like all of the things of God. I think back with the joy of faith when grace is present to all the times I have seen spiritual health emerge as faith handled and healed change. Last week around September 11th, for some reason, I could not help think of the way people responded on that fateful autumn day 12 years ago. This summer in early August, I had driven across the George Washington Bridge and looked down toward the harbor, filled with emotions still raw and present a dozen years later. I think about a young father and others on that plane that crashed in Pennsylvania. Somehow, amid sudden and calamitous change, they found the courage to act in a way that at least in part handled change. They even had the presence to call home ahead of time. Faith handles change. I think, by contrast, of all the meetings I have attended in the last three decades, you know, there is a grace 
and a beauty to meetings at their best. You can see this ordinary grace at work day by day, at least in part, in most group, staff, university, church meetings, where faith is called upon to manage change. It makes you wonder whether there is collectively an unforeseen, creative, shrewd response to our changed circumstance as a people now contemplating as we do our response to Syria. How to meet violence with patient justice. Hmm. In the trust that faith handles change. This is the faith of Jesus Christ apart from which as Paul says, all else is sin. Returning to Boston after the summer and walking on Boylston Street, I could not help some weeks ago but think of the women and men of this city on April 15th who found the faith as first responders, as innocent bystanders, as people on the scene at the finish line of the marathon who found faith that brought healing to radical, horrific change. I think I saw some of you there that day. And this autumn, watching students, particularly freshmen, navigate the waters of student life, I cannot help think of the ways with help, faith, and encouragement that so many over the years right here have found healing, faithful ways to handle change, to find spiritual health as college begins. On the crowded noontime paseo along Commonwealth Avenue, I think I hear some whispering to themselves. I will study hard. I will say no when I need to. I will take a daily walk in Boston and a monthly trip to the ocean, you promised. I will explore the world around me. I will have some fun along the way. I will invest in the joy of making lasting, lifelong friends. You can remember this week, faith heals, handles change. So keep this portrait of the shrewd manager in your wallet especially for the days your wallet is empty, especially for those days when your heart is heavy, your spirit is sour, your soul is sagging. This accountant meets the report of his mismanagement, itself possibly false, with calm. He does not try to change the whole world or this news. He just raises the basic question with courage. What am I going to do now? He thinks creatively, acts entrepreneurially, communicates astutely, relates cleverly, strategizes shrewdly, and lands on his feet. When times change, he does too. And Jesus commends him, I guess. And Luke commends him, I guess. And even his old boss commends him. I guess, and I commend him this morning, I guess. I mean, you can't help love the guy. 
Oh, and by the way, I have no idea what verse 9 means. Amen. As we turn to a time of prayer in our service, I invite you to adopt a posture in which you feel most connected to the divine, be it standing, sitting, or kneeling at the altar rail. Now may we be in prayer, beginning by singing together the call to prayer, Lead Me, Lord.
This morning's prayer is from the Feasting on the Word Lectionary Companion. Holy One, you are beyond our imagining, beyond our control, beyond our comfort. You will not be bound by our schemes. Even so, we maintain appearances and we jockey with our neighbors, even as we make idols from our fears. But your ways are not our ways. You are not a God of tidy balance sheets or weekly appointments. Your love is too deep, your claim too pervasive. You are there when tempters fray and anger erupts. You are there when anxiety overwhelms and we withdraw. You are here in every bruised heart, every calloused hand, every tangled dream. Move among us now. Receive our broken spirits as the offerings we bring this day. Merciful God, breathe deeply into this room your reconciling love, your holy expectation. Allow us now to see the faces of those we have harmed, those we have kept at a distance. Work in us, Lord, until our hearts are softened and we dare to seek our neighbor's good. Teach us to pray with our hands and our feet and our voices. We lift to you now all that seems irreconcilable in our families, in our schools and workplaces, in our nation, in your church, in your world. We pray for those we identify as leaders in every sphere of life. We pray for the leaders of nations around the world and for all whose decisions weigh heavily on others near and far. Even so, Lord, give us the courage to name ourselves as those whose responsibility is great. Teach us to tend the world you love, to sow more than we reap, to heal more than we wound, to make room for others as you made room for us. We pray with hearts both eager and reluctant in the words that your son Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever.
The peace of the Lord be always with you. We welcome you once again here to the Nave of Marsh Chapel and hope you will take a moment to participate in our ritual of friendship by putting your name and contact information in the red books found along the center aisle of each pew so that we, and putting your name and contact information there and passing it along to your neighbors so that we can get to know you better and help you get to know one another better throughout the coming week. We note that following the service today, we hope you will all join us downstairs for coffee hour and then at 12.30 among a variety of offerings here at the chapel, uh, Mr. Grayland Heidinger will be leading our weekly sermon talk back this week joined by faculty member the Reverend Dr. For, Dr. Christopher Brown uh, to speak about what Dean Hill said during the sermon today. We hope you can join them for that. Also, we note that uh, for students, you may be interested to join us for apple picking on uh, Columbus Day weekend in October. More information and registration for that is available on the chapel website, bu.edu chapel, where there is also the opportunity for online giving. We invite you to meditate on William Byrd's setting of Revelation 14, verse 13, Audi vi vocem de cello, as the ushers wait upon us for the morning offering. Now walk in love as Christ loves us, an offering and sacrifice to God.
Almighty God, as we give this morning, help us to remember our many blessings, joys, and the love that you have bestowed upon us, and accept this offering as a token of our gratitude and our commitment to service in your name. Amen. the sun shall warm and bright on you, your darkest night a star shine through, your dullest morn a radiance brew, and when dusk comes, God's hand to you. Amen. <laughs> 